Everybody excited they came tonight? 77 days to camp. My God, 77 days. Kenzie, how many days to Hillsong United? 31. Okay, 32. Come on, Leslie. 32. If you got your Bibles with you, let's look over at Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, and uh, we're going to start in verse 22 here in a second. Get another drink of water. A couple announcements before we get going here. Um, Just to let everybody know, uh, the podcasts are up on the website, the church website. Uh, Last week's is not on there yet. We heard that Maya was looking for it, and she didn't find it, so it's going to get on there soon. But there's already three messages already up there uh, for, I think there's uh, the one about prayer and two other ones up there right now, but we're going to put the one from last week up very soon. So if you guys want to check that out, the podcasts are up there. So uh, we're going to put the fourth podcast up there pretty soon, so you can go to the church website to find that. And also... Uh, we got a camp, guys camping trip coming up here next weekend, and uh, I got some some handouts. If you guys don't have one of these, you can pick one up. Darwin, you want you want one, okay? And Stephen. So uh, I got two more up here. If anybody needs them later on, but just some information about this camping trip next weekend. It is uh, going to be Friday night and Saturday. It's going to be up in Madison, Indiana. And uh, next Friday, we're going to meet at the church at 5.30 and start out and uh, head up to Madison. And then we're going to get back on Saturday around 4 o'clock. If you guys have a tent, please bring it, even if everybody brings a tent, because the more tents, the better. And uh, what was that? Yeah, hello, somebody. Okay, so the more tents, the better, so we don't have to sleep with Amzy. And... uh, Especially if Donker comes, no, ain't nobody want to sleep in that that tent with his feet. My God, what? There ain't no AC in there. In the tent? Well, but we. Well, that's the only AC that's going to be going on there if it's on his iPhone or whatever he has. But uh, twenty-five dollars. Preferably cash. Don't bring like a check or a credit card with you. Uh, $25 cash to come, and uh, that's going to take care of like hiking, meals, etc. And that's next weekend. So if you see some friends here that need to know this information, remind them. It is next Friday and Saturday. So uh, bring also, here it says, Bible tent, sleeping bag, pillow, deodorant preferably. A couple chances. Some old clothes to get dirty if we go hiking and stuff. Uh, flashlight, toilet paper, somebody help me. And uh, off spray would be nice. And any kind of camping gear you'd like to bring. So that's next weekend, amen? And then the girls are camping June 3rd and 4th, correct? So uh, we'll let you know more about that. And if you want to know more about that, you could talk to uh, Janet or Miss Marsha about that. So that's coming up. 
Also, like we just announced, June 20th, on a Monday night, we are going up to Indianapolis, Indiana to see Hillsong United in the uh, Conseco Fieldhouse. And there's 30 of us going, so that's going to be an awesome time. And also, we would like to give a birthday shout-out to Jay Mills in the house tonight. So, uh, Jay Mills' birthday is tomorrow, right? So, uh, if you guys like to give her, uh, you know, a card or Pentecostal handshake or all the above tonight, that would be nice. Or pay for a meal tonight at, after, afterwards when we eat. Go for it. So, uh, birthday shout-out to you. And uh, let me think. Charity Water also. Charity Water, continue to give to that. You guys have been doing great with Charity Water. And uh, I think we've probably crossed over $500 to Charity Water so far. So that's really awesome. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look here at Matthew 14. <clears throat> Matthew 14, 22. And uh, let's start reading here. Matthew 14, 22. It says, immediately Jesus and his disciples got into the boat. Oh, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening had came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28, And Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Underline that. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Verse 30, But when he saw the wind, and was, it was boisterous, he was afraid. And notice this, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he called him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Verse 32, and then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Now let's look over to Luke 10. Luke 10. Luke 10, and we're going to read in verse 2. Let's read from verse 1, actually, and then we'll read to verse 2. And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 other also, these were disciples, and he sent them two by two before his faith face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Notice verse 2. And then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest. But I want you to underline that. The harvest is truly great, but guess what? But the laborers are few. Amen? Amen. Now let's look back over and uh, let's, let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. We're going to have a good time tonight. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and we're going to just stop there for a second. Ephesians 2. If you
If you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is Get Out of the Boat. Get out of the boat. Look at your neighbor and say, Get out of the boat. Come on, with a little more force and off. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. <clears throat> We're going to have a good time. So like I said, the title of the message is Get Out of the Boat. And uh, this is something I've been meditating on and thinking on for a couple weeks now. And this is something really, it's, it's close to my heart because I was thinking about how there's so much, and I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it because it's the truth. There's so much talent. There's so many gifts. There's so much potential in this room tonight. And some guy, sometimes you guys don't see it like I see it, but it is so true. There's so many giftings and callings and gifts and talents in you. You guys don't even see it. And you have the ability to change the world. But sometimes we can think small. We can stay small. But I tell you, if we never get out of the boat, we're never going to use our gifts. And we're never going to use our talents. And we're never going to use the graces that God has given us. And you know, I was reading this book recently by John Maxwell. And it was talking about talent is never enough. Or your gifting is never enough. And that's the thing. A lot of us have gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us. But if we don't make the right decisions to use those talents, it really doesn't matter that we were talented in the first place. You know, there's so many people on this planet that are wasting their gifts and abilities on things that don't matter. They're wasting their talents, the grace that God's given them on their lives for things that are pointless, for things that are fruitless, for things that at the end of time will not matter. But we got to choose us in this room tonight, whether we're going to use our gifts and talents for God or we're going to stay in the boat like the majority of Christians on this planet that never do anything for God because they're afraid to step out on the water and pursue what God has told them in their hearts. And there's, there's a thing I want you to catch here is tonight that we need to choose to be strong in the gifts and the graces that God has given to us. You know, Paul says to Timothy, and uh, I think it's 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, be strong in the grace. Or other words, it's not enough for God to just grace your life. You've got to be strong in it. That means you need to respond to the gifts and callings and potential that God has on your lives. Because there's a lot of people that God has called them to do something, but they're not responding back to what God's called them to do. And it's not enough for God to just grace your life. You've got to respond to the grace that's on your life. And there's grace on your life. There's gifts on your life. There's potential on your life. But if we don't respond, nothing will happen. We can stay in the boat like the rest of the mediocre Christians in this world that are doing nothing with their life. And nobody changes the world staying in the boat. Churches don't go anywhere. There's, there's thousands and thousands of churches on this planet right now going nowhere because the whole church is going to stay in the boat the rest of their life. They made up their mind because they have no faith in the grace that God's given them. So it's not enough for God to just grace your life. You've got to have faith and act on what God has graced you in. In Ephesians 2, 8, let's read it. Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's something you need to understand about the Bible. There is a divine order that's in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, that you need to understand. And I want you to be in order tonight. And that is... 
that there's an order in Scripture, and it's grace, faith, and works. The Bible talks about three specific things, grace, faith, and works, but it's in that order, in that order only. And grace is always first. God's side is always first. He is always first in whatever he does. But faith is our decision to respond to his grace. So it's not enough for God to just show grace on us, but we have to put faith in that grace to actually be saved. Hello, somebody. You have to receive the grace of God. That's why, you know, God's grace is available for everybody on the planet right now, but some people aren't responding in faith, so they haven't received salvation. So it's not enough that we just know about God's grace. We have to have faith and receive God's grace. But there's a third thing it talks about in the Bible, and that's also works. And so we see grace is God's side. It's his unmerited favor. It's his goodness. It's his great love that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, but God gave to us. And faith is our response to his grace. A lot of us in here, we, all, we have faith. We believe in what Jesus has done for us, and that's the way we receive it. Not by works, but we receive what he's done. But there is a place for works in your life. Are you here tonight? And your works are not so you will earn salvation. Your works are because of your salvation. Hello, somebody. You don't, you don't have good works because you're trying to earn salvation. That's only by grace. But you have good works because of your salvation experience. And so you need to realize this divine order. It's grace, faith, and works. But see, a lot of people talk about works, they talk about good works, they talk about doing things for God, but they talk about it from the wrong perspective. And they put it works, faith, and grace. No, it's grace, faith, and works. But there should be real works in your life, and those are a response to your genuine faith. But in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we see this divine order. Notice it says... For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice, it's by grace you have been saved, but you have to have faith to receive that grace. It's not alone that God has just put his grace out there. Faith is your part in receiving what God has done. And all you have to do is believe in what he's done and receive it. And notice it says, not of work, so you didn't earn it, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you notice in a lot of Paul's letters, he always keeps this divine order. Grace, faith, works. If you read the letters, Paul always starts the first half of all his letters. And this is grace. This is what Jesus has done. This is what God has done for you in Christ. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you can receive it because of Jesus. But he always puts that first because that affects what we do later on. See, there's a complete difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant says, if you obey, if you work hard enough, if you're good enough, then God will bless you, then God will do something. The New Covenant is completely different. God blesses you because of Jesus. He loves you because of Jesus. He, he gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness because of Jesus. And in light of that, now you can do something in return. And it's not to earn your salvation. It's because of your salvation. There's a completely change on motivations here. But there is real genuine works. You know, in James it talks about this. Really, James is a book about faith and works. 
and what he talks about in James a lot, because some people uh, misinterpret scripture and think that maybe James or Paul or John or some of these different writers are disagreeing on points, but actually they're not. There's an order in scripture. Some emphasize more, more than others. Some emphasize grace more. Some emphasize faith more. But there's still this divine order, grace, faith, and works. But in James, you see this here. It says, if you say you really have faith and you see your brother who is in need or you see a situation that needs to be fixed and you don't do anything, do you really have genuine faith? And that's a good question because it's not good enough for us just to say we have faith in our heart. If our faith is genuine, we will do something about people that are hurting, that are dying, that need help. And so James makes you question Okay, you're not doing this works to earn something from God, but if you say you have real faith in his amazing grace, then you will do something about it. And so my question tonight is we need to do something about the situation in this planet. We need to do something about the situation in our schools. We need to do something about the situation in our colleges. We need to do something about the situations in this city. And now is the time. And the thing is, we can keep putting it off and you say, well, well, you know, I've heard people say now it's time. Guess what? Anytime you're alive, now is the time. It's always a now season, due season for you to do something every day of your life. Now is the time. And so we need to do something about this. I love this. James said, if you say you got real faith, then you would do something. You would do something about it. And he said, you got faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. If you got real genuine faith, real genuine faith is is not faith that's just in your heart. It's faith that actually does something. Faith always has to have corresponding actions to what it really believes, or it's really not it's not not real belief. Because if you really believe something, you will do something about it. I love this. He it says in uh, Ephesians ten here. It says two ten. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice this. These good works that God wants us to do now are not for our salvation or not for to please God, but they're because of it. And he's planned these good works out for us ahead of time. So these are not things that we have to make up on our own. These are not things that we have to do in our own strength. These are things that God is going to empower us to do. But we can choose to neglect those good works or we can choose to respond to those good works and i don't know about you but i'm ready to respond to what god wants to do because god is more willing to do things in your life than a lot of us are willing to respond to what he's trying to do god has good works he's got good things he's got good plans he's got great uh destinies for your life but if we don't respond to it nothing will happen even though god had planned that for us to us to step into those things Notice it says God has prepared this beforehand. Before you were ever in this planet, I don't care how you got here. You might have thought it might have been by accident, but there was no accident that you're on this planet. And God prepared beforehand, before you ever got here, good things, good plans, good purposes, an amazing life before you ever got there. But you have got to respond to that plan. You have to respond to that plan or it will never happen. And by you responding, you're not earning it. You're just responding to what God's already initiated. 
this word good works, it's not just talking about, you know, I'm going and I'm giving my neighbor a cupcake and walking old ladies across the street. It's so much more than that. That is a good work and people would appreciate that. But these good works it's talking about here are supernatural good works, are good works that you couldn't do by yourself, are good works that God himself is empowering you to do. These are things that, that you cannot do by yourself, but they're an amazing life, an amazing plan that, that God is going to do through you, but you've got to respond to what God's trying to do. You've got to respond to what God's trying to do. Let's look over at Matthew 14. Matthew 14. <laughs> Matthew 14. Matthew 14, and uh, let's read here in verse 25. It says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, which is in the middle of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. Notice, he said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Your life has not been called to stay in the boat. We will never do these good works these good plans that God has for us if we stay in the boat because our response to God is getting out of the boat. God's grace is what keeps you walking on the water. But your response is, he's asking, you got to get out of the boat so I got something to work with. But God has not called us to stay in the boat. Most believers stay in the boat their whole lives and do nothing worthwhile for God their whole entire life. And really the main thing is that they have never really understood the amazing grace that God has bestowed on them. They have never really got a revelation of the love of God. They never got a revelation of the goodness of God because when you understand and you see the goodness of God and the love of God and the amazing grace of God, it's going to motivate you to do something. Because So I question if you really know it, if you're not motivated to do anything. If you're not motivated to be in the ministry of helps. If you're not motivated to give. If you're not motivated to share your faith. Do you really know the grace of God? Because once you really know and understand the goodness of God and the grace of God, you will want to do something about it. You can't just stand there and look back at him like nothing is being done here. That's the same thing as if my wife treats me awesome and she's good to me and she loves me and I ignore all the time. That just doesn't work. That doesn't compute somebody thinking logically. If somebody's that good to you and that loving to you, you can't just ignore that person like nothing's happening. I tell you, my wife's awesome, but Jesus is a lot more awesome than her. Jesus is better than any, any other uh, person on this planet. Jesus is better than your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom and dad or your friends. Jesus is better than all that, and it demands a response from you. Now let's look over at Luke 10. Luke 10 and verse 2. Luke 10 and verse 2. Notice it says, the harvest is truly great, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, this is something that God has been speaking to me a lot the past couple of weeks. And he brought up this scripture to me because, you know, we're talking about tonight about doing something. About these good works and these supernatural things that God wants us to do. The things that we read in the Bible that the disciples did. Like laying hands on the sick and they recovered. Like raising the dead. Like healing people. Like delivering people. Like seeing people saved. Like the early church when it grew from 3,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 to 15,000. We see that in the Bible and we want those good works. But those people are people that got out of the boat. Those people are people that actually responded to the grace of God. And just didn't sit on their backside the rest of their life. And the thing is. There's people that, that go to church and they never do anything for God and they say, you know, this Christian walk is boring. That's because you're in the boat. The action is not in the boat. It's on the water with Jesus. But in Luke 10, 2, notice it says, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. And this is something that's really been a divine word for, for me and I feel like for this group is a lot of us in here, we've been praying for the harvest. We want to see the city one for Jesus. We want to see colleges and high schools and middle schools touched by the power of God. We want to see the church grow. And it's awesome that we're praying and we need to continue to pray. But notice it says the laborers are few. Not the prayers are few, the laborers are few. And, he, and, and God spoke to me supernaturally. He said, you guys have been doing a good, good job praying, but you haven't been doing any laboring. So it's not enough that we just come up here and pray. Jesus, send, send some people into the harvest fields and witness to people and touch people's lives when you are right next to those people every day of our lives. He said, you are the answer you've been praying for. Each one of us in here, we need to stop praying for the for the answer that's right in front of us which is us god put us in that city in the city for a reason he put us in this high school for a reason he put you in that college for a reason he put you in that business for a reason he put you in that neighborhood for the reason so you could be the answer not so you could just pray god send somebody into my neighborhood to minister to somebody you are the answer to the prayers that you've been praying but see, a lot of us do that. Why? Because we don't want to get out of the boat. We just want to pray in the boat. We don't actually want to get out of the boat. And so we're praying for the answer that we already have in us. We go by people every day and we say, you know, God, I pray that you send somebody into your life. When you're standing right next to that person, you are the answer to the prayers that you've been praying. But a lot of us don't see it like that because what we want to just stay in the boat and pray. We don't want to get outside of the boat. We want somebody else who's more passionate about God, who's more fervent about God, who, who's got more time than we got to get out of the boat for us and do, and do what we've been praying for. But we are the answer to what we've been praying for. Are you hearing me tonight? You know, uh, in thinking about this, I was, I was meditating on this, and God, God said the harvest is not in the boat. The harvest is not in the boat. We've been doing a good job praying. We've been a good, doing a good job fellowshiping with each other. That's awesome. We, we got such an amazing unified core group. That's amazing. But we're all up unified in the same boat. And he said, the harvest is not in the boat. The harvest is on the water with Jesus. 
So we got to get out of the boat. You know, that destiny that you feel like God has for your life, the plan that God has for your life is not in the boat. It's on the water with Jesus. Notice in verse 26 of, uh, let's turn back to Matthew 14 in verse 26. You guys getting anything tonight? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. God gave me a couple things to, to, to say tonight that are, that are not, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself tonight because I just pretty much get up here and tattletale what God's been trying to deal with me about. So I'm talking to myself tonight. But he says, notice they, uh, they cried out for fear, these disciples. And he told me the number one reason why people don't get out of the boat is for fear. The number one we- reason we don't get out of the boat is because of fear. You know, if the devil can keep you in fear the rest of your life, he will keep you crippled the rest of your life. You will never do anything for God. You will never lay hands on anybody. You will never witness to anybody. You will never do anything spectacular for God or supernatural or these good works we talked about in Ephesians 2.10. Because why? You're fear. You're full of fear and you will never get out of the boat because you're crippled. So the number one reason is fear why we don't get out of the boat. Here's one of the things we fear is the fear of others. What are people going to say if I get out of the boat? What are people going to say when I'm not just like everybody else? That's kind of the point. Because if you're like everybody else, nobody wants what you have. There has to be something different about your life. There has to be something amazing about your life. There has to be something extraordinary about your life. There has to be something that stands out about your life. And it's not you, but it's Jesus in you that stands out. But people are going to talk about you when you get out of the boat. And that's the number one reason why a lot of us don't say anything because we have the fear of others. I know in my life personally, I've had that. I might not have spoken it to anybody, but you want to step out and do something for God. But you're thinking, what is so-and-so going to think about this? Or what is that person going to, oh, you think you're all that now? Or you think you can do that now? But Peter did not care what anybody had to say. You know, something about Peter that was amazing, but it also hurt him sometimes, is what he was bold to get out of the boat. He was bold to be the first one to step out. Sometimes he got him in trouble. Sometimes he said the wrong thing, but other times he said the right thing. Other times he stood out and do the, did the right thing in a, in a produced form. You know, Peter, one time he said, he said, uh, he had the revelation that said, Jesus, you are the son of God. And he said, flesh and bone has not revealed to you to you, the Father in heaven has revealed this to you, Peter. And then a chapter later, he said, Peter, you're full of the devil. Get behind me. You know, one minute, Peter's saying, I ain't never going to deny you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And that night before the uh, a rooster crowed, he denied him three times. So Peter was stepping out. When he failed, he was stepping out when he did good. But at least he was stepping out. The rest of the disciples weren't doing nothing. But at least Peter was stepping out. That's, that, that's what can be said about Peter. You know, Peter was the one chosen to speak the first message on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because Jesus know this guy will step out. Whether he messes up and falls on his face or not, he's at least willing to do something. Just do something with your life. 
But notice, Peter didn't care about the rest of the people on the boat. See, a lot of us care about what the other people on the boat are going to think about you when you step out and do something for God. And even your fellow Christian friends will probably say stuff to you too because they don't want to do nothing and they want to stay in the boat the rest of their life. And they'll start persecuting you saying, oh, you think you're all that now? Oh, you think you're a witness now? Oh, Christian people will say that to you. But if you're going to be afraid of the others in the boat, you will never do anything for God. You won't do anything for God. If you're going to listen to the crowd and the rest of the disciples in the boat, you will never do anything for God. Because everybody, there's going to be at least one person in your group of friends that are always going to have something smart to say about what you're trying to do for God. And so if we just lived on what everybody says, nobody would do anything. So you got to forget about what they're saying in the boat and think about what Jesus is saying on the water. You're listening to the wrong person when you have the fear of others. You're afraid of what the people in the boat say instead of Jesus who's on the water. You know what Jesus' words are? Come out. Come out from the boat. Do those good works I have planned for you. Get into the destiny I have planned for you. Get into the supernatural power of God in your everyday life. Actually do something with your life. Do something amazing that people will will talk about later, like we talk about Smith Wigglesworth and Dr. Summerall and Kenneth E. Hagin. Be one of those people, not somebody who stayed in church their whole life and did nothing, but just consume the Word of God and never give anything out. You know, I w- I would uh, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker any day. Are you hearing me tonight? I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker any day. Even if you get a little wet when you step out on what God has said, it doesn't matter. I'd rather walk on the water for a couple seconds than stay in the boat and do nothing with my life. Because they can talk all they want, but they're they still in the boat. You know, the world and really a lot of Christians are tired of hearing people just talk and not do anything. Here's another fear, the fear of rejection. You know what? You got to face it. You're going to be rejected by some people, whether you like it or not. No matter how much love you walk in, no matter how much grace you walk in, there's still somebody that's going to reject you. You know what? Jesus was the personification of grace and truth and love. Okay, if anybody walked in love, it was Jesus himself. He is love. And there were still people that hated him. There were still people that persecuted. So how about us? We're going to get persecuted so we don't, have to be, we, don't, we don't need to be afraid of rejection because it's going to happen. See, that's a, lot, a, a big reason I'm talking to myself too, why, why I haven't stepped out, why you haven't stepped out and shared our faith with others and stepped out and say, hey, can I pray for you today? Or hey, hey, you want to come to church this Thursday? Or hey, you want to do this and do that? Can I do anything to help you? Why? It's fear of rejection. But you're going to have to get over the fear of rejection if you want to actually do something. Because you'll never get out of the boat if you're afraid of rejection. Jesus was rejected. You're going to be rejected. Deal with it. Here's another fear. You guys still here tonight? It's the fear of failure. See, a lot of us won't get out of the boat because we feel like if we get out, we will sink and we'll fail. You know, I've had that several times come to my mind. I know the enemy puts those thoughts in our mind, so we will stay in the boat. 
is if you step out and you say you're going to go to the KFC Yum Center one day and you just got a handful of people in the quarry, what if you fail? What if God doesn't come through for you? What if you step out and you fall flat on your face? That's why people stay in the boat. And that's fear. That's not faith. And faith says, I don't have to see it to believe it. I don't have to feel it to know that it's coming to pass. Because you know what? When you step out, Jesus is on the water with you. You just stepped into the supernatural. You can stay in the boat and be a natural person the rest of your life, or you can get out of the boat and, and go into the supernatural where Jesus is. So the fear of failure, a lot of us don't want to step out and do something because we think we're going to fail. It might not just be talking to people about your faith. It might be God has put a business plan in your, in, in your mind or your spirit, and you won't step out because you think that God's not going to come through for you. It might be a dream that God has placed in your heart to maybe start like a nonprofit organization or a missionary organization or do this or do that with your life. And you think people are going to make fun of you. You think that if I step out, you have the fear of failure. And the enemy is always going to bring that up to you because he wants you to stay in the boat. Because people that stay in the boat, like I said, they don't do anything. They don't make any effect for the kingdom of God. It's people who walk on water who actually do something in this earth. Here's another thing. This is why people don't get out of the boat, because it's uncomfortable to get out of the boat. You know, in the boat, there's comfy seats. In the boat, they don't have to step out onto water, which he's never stepped out before. He didn't know what it felt like to walk on water up to that point. But it's uncomfortable to get out of the boat. You know, that's one of the main reasons why the other disciples didn't get out of the boat because it's more comfy to just stay seated in the boat and not step out of it. You know, when you're following Jesus, which this whole message is about because Jesus is the one that said, come. So if you're going to follow Jesus, then you're going to get out of the boat and follow him into the water where he is. But when you're following Jesus, if you're not uncomfortable, I question if you're actually following him. I'm talking to myself tonight too, but if you're not uncomfortable, are you really following Jesus? See, not many people talk like that. But if you're truly following Jesus, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're, God is going to put you in some uncomfortable situations that the only way out of that situation is that he shows up and does something about it. Why? Because if you just stay in the boat, it's only up to you. You're only staying in the realm of the possible. But when you step out of the boat and you get uncomfortable, you step into the impossible, which only God can come through and only God can do it. So if you're not uncomfortable in your normal life, then are you really following? Because followers of Jesus should feel uncomfortable. Not that you're depressed, not that you're just, you, you just got symptoms and stuff like that. I'm talking about in your daily life, if you're not doing things that you feel like, man, God, if you don't show up, then I'm going to sink. That's how you know you're following. If you're doing things on a daily and weekly basis that say, God, if you, if you don't show up, then I cannot do this by myself. That's the kind of uncomfortable I'm talking about. 
And if you don't feel that on an ongoing basis, are you truly following? Because your life story should, should say that everything I'm doing, I wasn't educated enough. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough talent. I didn't have enough ability. But guess what? God did it through me because I was uncomfortable enough to get out of the boat. You know, if your plan for your life is, is big enough for you to do, it's not from God. How do you know it's a God dream, a God plan, a God vision? Is that it's bigger than yourself. And if God doesn't come through, then your plan will not end the right way. That's how you know if it's a God dream or a good dream. But a lot of people are so comfortable, they will never get out of the boat. And that's why they never step into the supernatural. You know, comfortable churches never change cities. Comfortable Christians never change cities. Uncomfortable ones do. You know, when Smith Wigglesworth would go and grab people that were dead at the funeral home, that wasn't a comfortable thing to do. But guess what? Since he was uncomfortable and he decided to get out of the boat, God showed up on his behalf. Because God is just waiting for somebody to step out so he can show himself strong on your behalf. But you know what? Smith Wigglesworth could, st- could have stayed in his house all those 20 plus times he raised people from the dead because that was the comfortable thing for him to do. But he decided to get uncomfortable and God showed up on his behalf. Here's another thing. You guys want another thing? <laughs> is this is why people don't get out of the boat because they think the opportunity will come around again sometime. A lot of us procrastinate. I mean, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Are procrastinators, and you think that this opportunity that you have in front of you, that you can just jump out of the boat anytime you want. And you know what? There is divine seasons that Jesus is calling you out of the boat. This is probably what a lot of the disciples said. They probably said, Jesus, when the waters come down, when the wind stops blowing, When it stops raining, then I'll get out of the boat to you. And that's what a lot of us say. When the conditions are right, when I get all my ducks in a row, when my ship comes in, my God, when everything looks like it's going to turn out all right, then I'll jump out of the boat. If you wait for that, you will miss your opportunity for the rest of your life. Because you know what? The devil will send circumstances and waves and wind the rest of your life so you'll stay in the boat waiting for your opportunity to get out of the boat when everything calms down but it will never calm down if you wait for that to happen so the opportunity is now I don't know about you but I've treated situations in my life like these things are going to happen Uh, Just every other week, like these people are going to come in and out of my life every other week. But some of these people that God is sending in your life, this might be the only chance they have to be reached. This might be the, the, the only chance you have to start that dream or plan that God has put in your heart right now. It's a now season. But we can miss the opportunity because we think it's going to come around again. Now, let's look at verse 30. It said, but when he saw the wind, it was boisterous. He was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. 
verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said to him, oh, you, a little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, Jesus, truly you are the son of God. And notice that when Peter stopped looking at Jesus and stopped following Jesus and stopped focusing on the plan that God had for his life. And he looked around at the circumstances. He looked around at the problems. He looked around at his inability to walk on water. That's when he started to sink. So it's not enough to just step out of the boat. Once you step out of the boat, you need to stay focused on what Jesus has called you to do. Because I know I've been there before. I've stepped out of the boat. And then once I got out there, I realized I'm not supposed to walk on water. I realized my inabilities, that that I'm really not that good at this. And I'm not that good at that. And God, I don't know how you're going to do this. And started looking at the circumstances. And that's when you start to sink is when you start thinking like that. Is you take your eyes off Jesus and what he's called you to do and put your eyes on the problem. You put your eyes on your inability to do whatever God's called you to do. You take your eyes and you put it on your lack of money that you think that it's going to take to do what God has put in your heart. But realize once you step out, Jesus will not let you sink. Jesus will not let you sink. I love it. It says in the verse 30, it said when, when he began to uh, sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus cried out and or Jesus stretched out his hand and he caught him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice that when you jump out of the boat and start walking on water, even if you take your eyes off Jesus, even if you start sinking, guess what? Jesus is going to catch you. You will not fail jumping out of the boat. I promise you, no matter how, if you, step, if you step out and you feel like you failed, you will never fail jumping out of the boat. You will never fail leaving the natural and going into the supernatural. Why? Because Jesus is on the water. He's not in the boat. And even when you think you've failed, guess what? Jesus will not let you sink. You know, a lot of people's theology would probably teach you this. Once you jump out of the boat and you start thinking and you don't have enough faith that Jesus is just going to rub it in your face. He's going to let you sink down a few feet and let you get some water in your lungs. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus will not let you sink because he loves you. And I tell you what, he appreciates your faith in his words to step out on what he said. But when he got back in the boat, notice he said, oh, you of little faith. And, you know, one of the best definitions of faith, faith is trust. Of you, oh, you of little trust. You know, that's really true in my life. I know probably in yours is when we feel like we start sinking or we, we look at the circumstances or we look at, you know, I don't think I got enough talent or ability to do what you've called me to do. God, I don't see how this is going to work out is that we didn't really trust Jesus like we should have. And we started sinking, and we say we trust Jesus, but we were putting more trust in the wind and the waves than we were Jesus. We are putting more trust in our lack of ability than his ability. 
And really the question is, do you really know who I am when he said this? Because if Peter would have realized who Jesus fully was at this point, he would have never took his eyes off Jesus. But he didn't have a full revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus is almighty. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's a provider. He's a healer. He can make a way where there is no way. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And Jesus can do anything. So his lack of faith came because he really didn't understand who Jesus fully was. I tell you, when you feel like you've got lack of faith, you need to get back in the word of God and realize how amazing God really is. And if you really think about it for a long time, you realize how much more powerful Jesus is than the wind and the waves. I love this. And it says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those were in the boat. Notice it took, it took all that, even Jesus walking on the water. But when the wind and waves finally ceased, it says they worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Really what God has put in my heart tonight was he said, you need to keep dreaming and you need to keep dreaming big. Because God is faithful and he won't let you sink. I know that's been a a word to me in my own personal life. It's because, you know what, you've heard me say stuff, some big stuff. And later on, the enemy tries to beat me up with that. How you got to, you ain't, you don't know how to walk on water. You don't have enough ability to do that. And I felt like that. And, you know, there's been a couple of times I felt like, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that that's a little that's a little big that's a little outlandish that's a little exceedingly abundantly above all i can ask or think but he said you keep dreaming big and you don't stop because i'm faithful and i won't let you sink he said you just keep getting out of the boat and you watch what i can do you keep getting out of the boat and watch what i can do Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged if people leave. Don't get discouraged if you don't see the amount of people you thought you'd see by now. Don't get discouraged if things aren't going right in your career like you think they're going. Don't get discouraged at your high school or your college like it hasn't changed like you want it to. You just keep jumping out of the boat and watch what God can do. I decided I'm going to keep jumping out of the boat. I don't care who leaves. I don't care who comes. I don't care what it looks like. It will come to pass everything that God has promised us. I tell you, really, this is, this is a time in all of our lives here tonight, because I really consider a lot of you the core group here. I know a lot of people have went back home. A lot of people are on summer break. They're kind of doing their own thing, hanging out, and they'll be back in the fall. But that we don't need to give up on these dreams. We don't need to give up on what God has put in our heart, not just for this church, but for your life personally. For the career that God has for your life, for the, for the man or woman of God God has planned for you. You don't need to give that up. But keep getting out of the boat and watch what he can do. See, this is a time where your faith is being tested. You know, when, when God promised Abraham, he would have Isaac. It took him 25 years till it happened. 
And you know, once we start believing God, we don't need to put God on a timetable. Because if we're really in faith, it will come to pass whatever he's promised that we can have. But a lot of us start rushing it and we produce Ishmael's. Hello, somebody. See, Abraham and his wife rushed it. And guess what? They produced Ishmael. Which was the son after the flesh. And guess what? Ishmael is still a pain in Isaac's side after all these years. So you can, you can produce something by yourself, but you're going to produce an Ishmael and it will profit you nothing. But see, this is a time I really feel like that, you know, we've been believing big. A lot of us in here, we've been believing big. We've been saving big things. We've been dreaming big. But this is a time where our faith is being tested. This is a time where, where we're seeing whether we're going to believe that Isaac's coming or we're going to decide to produce an Ishmael by ourselves. Or a lot of people just give it up. Like, I'm just not having a kid. That's what Abraham could have done. But we don't need to give up because faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. So my question really, what, what is your boat and what do you need to step out of onto the water? It could be God told you to do something at your school, in your neighborhood. Maybe God told you to give a crazy amount of money away. Maybe God told you to start a business. Maybe God told you to, uh, to lay hands on the sick at your school. Maybe God told you to pray over that person at the coffee shop. It could be a lot of things, but what is the boat that you need to get out of? Because the answer to that question is that Jesus is saying, come, no matter what kind of boat you think you're in. But Jesus is saying, come, come out on the water and step into the supernatural and step into what I have for you. And notice he's not expecting you to do it by yourself. He's with you. See, a lot of people don't step out because they feel like they got to just keep themselves afloat. But Jesus is with you. He's going to keep you afloat. He's not going to let you sink. Amen. Amen. You guys get anything tonight? Amen. I love you guys. I appreciate you. And really, a lot of this, man, it's it's come out of the past couple of weeks. I just, you know, the enemy will try to send discouraging things to your mind. And say, you know, you just need to take back some of that stuff you're saying. You know, you can't, you can't be talking KFC Yum Center. And, you know, that's just, it's just been a personal, really message for me because, you know, we t- we talk about growing, we talk about stepping out, but what happens in the meantime is what matters. And and the enemy's going to try to send you, send you stuff to get you focused on that and not focused on. Jesus saying, come. Amen. Did you guys get anything tonight? Let's pray. Well, actually, every head bow, every eye closed real quick.